We, uh, as long as I've been our pastor here, uh, we have always read out of the ESV, and um, that, that's just, I, I personally like the ESV. I think it, it is a good medium between word-for-word translation and still being readable. Um, but this passage this week is what I'd call extra ESV-ish, which means I'm going to need grace. I've stood in front of my wife and read this passage to her so many times this week, and this if I get it right, it will be the first time in front of you. And the odds aren't in my favor, so read along with me. I don't want you to ever just... Go with what Tim says is always true. Now, my goal is to never blaspheme the word of God. My goal is always bring you truth. But at the same time, I want you to be able to stand on your own knowledge and your own faith. And that's not just because I am a horrible public reader, but because that is what's going to sustain you and anchor you. The scriptures will be behind me. You can stay seated. There's a Bible all over. We are reading. So verses 13. Chapter 6, verses 13. I'm going to put it down. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes, and an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise of the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Verse 18. So by that, two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement and to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that entered into the inner place behind the curtain. Verse 20. Where God has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Huh. All right, let me pray for us. We're going to die. <coughs> God, thank you for today. Thank you for you, our just freedom to worship you boldly and proclaim truth. God, I'm thankful for the, the men and women in this room. I'm thankful for the men and the women down the hall. I'm thank you, thankful for the kids uh, that you've blessed us with, that we may, we may steward them well, we may point them to you. God, I pray for the next few minutes that we would just solely focus on your word and your ways. In all things we pray. Amen. Alright. Um, so the writer of Hebrews is, is, is really coming back. He's doing an, an homage to Hebrews chapter 2 where he's saying you have to anchor yourself in the unchangeable characters of God. You have to anchor yourself in the promises of God. Because if God can't lie, that means everything he said is true. And that means everything he has said that he will do for us uh, and has done for us and will continue to do for us is true. And we have to rest in that. We have to find joy and peace in that. And we have to make that the foundation of our life. Because if we don't, we're just just kind of uh, at the mercies of what sounds good. We're at the mercies of... Of, of where our world and where our life takes us if we aren't cemented and anchored into the will of God. So verse, thing, verse 13, it says, For God made a promise to Abraham. And, and Abraham, we kind of dived into the life of Abraham. We just got done prior to uh, Christmas uh, and prior to our study of Hebrews. Uh, we, we dove into Genesis and, and some of the characters of Genesis. And one of the main characters in Genesis is Abraham. He really first comes onto the scene out of nowhere, scene out of nowhere in, in Genesis chapter 11 when they're talking about uh, just uh, patriarchs uh, of, of, of who is left after the flood. And then in verse 12, uh, verses, uh, for chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, it talks about how God had called Abraham to leave his family and go out 
to the land of Canaan, and he had promised that he would multiply him. He promised that he would make a great uh, nation out of him. Abraham is 75 when God first calls him out and tells him that he's going to make a great nation. And what's, what's really interesting about Abraham is that at this point he's childless. And at this point, if you're childless and you're being called away from your, your family, your parents and your, your, your brothers and your sisters, that, that, that is unheard of. And I know in this day and age, most of you have already left your home and you have found yourself as a Dallas transplant. Actually, as a church pastor, it is terrifying how many of you are transplants and really have no connection but your job in this church. It, it kind of keeps me up a while, but just stay. Just stay. You've already made roots. We have a good thing going, but that's not the point. So Abraham's being called out in, in, into a new land. He goes out with his, his wife at this name, at this point, her name is Sari, and, and he said, I'm gonna multiply you, I'm gonna make a great nation from you. I'm gonna from from your lineages, from your offspring, I will bless the entire world. Then obviously he's pointing to his his immediate children that will be blessings, but then he's through that he's going to make the nation of Israel through the nation of Israel. We're going to have the lineage of David, and through the lineage of David we're going to have Christ, and he's going to bless the world through Christ in, in, in a way of salvation and atoning blood for reconciliation uh, of sin to creator. And But all of that starts in Genesis 12, and he says, I made a promise to Abraham, and when he makes that promise, he, he makes an oath unto himself. He's saying, my promises are bank." money. Like, you can count on them. And there's no way for me to prove that to you because I can't swear on anything greater than me, so I have to swear on me. And oath and promises in the Old Testament were a little different than now. Most of us have broken promises. Most of us have broken oaths and promises, and it's cost us nothing other than people may not trust your word as much. But back in the Old Testament, if you broke an oath or a promise, that probably costed you, costed you your, your professional life, maybe your actual life, and maybe your family's freedom. Uh, a lot of times, if you broke an oath in the Old Testament, it cost you your life, and then your family was then sold in to slavery to pay off whatever oath debt you owed. So at this time, when we're talking about oaths, this is not just simply a pinky promise in 2020, but this is everything that is, that is involved in the character of God. He says, when I promise you, you can take it to the bank. And the writer of Hebrews is telling this, this nation, these New Testament Christians who were, 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 were steeped in the, in the knowledge of the, of the Torah, they were steeped in the knowledge of the Pentateuch, they're saying, yes, Abraham was your patriarch, and he was promised these things, and then God has fulfilled these things. So why would you ever think the God that fulfilled these promises for Abraham won't fulfill promises for you? He's saying, if you can bank on me in the day of Abraham, you can bank on me in the day of Christ, in the way of grace and salvation. I'm the same God. My character is unchangeable, and I cannot lie. So what I profess that will happen to you, what I profess will be your secure blanket of salvation is true, and you have to hold fast to it, because if you don't, you're going to fall by the wayside. Like I said, it's an homage to Hebrews chapter 2 where he says, if you drift, you're going to drift into damnation. If you drift, it's not going to be, well, you just got it kind of wrong, but we're all good. That's not how salvation works. You have to be fully committed to Christ. And if you drift, it could cost you your life. It could cost you your family's life. So he's saying, anchor to the will of God, anchor to Christ, anchor to the unchangeable character of God, anchor to the hope. And it says, there's a strong encouragement that will hold fast in hope. When we see hope, we see the writer of, of Romans, Paul writes about hope, that God is the author of hope, he's the sustainer of hope. He hopes that we abound in peace, that we may find eternal hope. He's the steadfast anchor for our soul. Like I said in Hebrews 2, he talks about drifting, and drifting is scary, because drifting is... Is, is unnoticed. And by the time you realize you've drifted in a nautical sense or in your life, it's usually too late. 
And that's why the writer of Hebrews is pleading with his congregation because drifting is the scariest thing that can happen to a Christian. Because a lot of us prepare for this face-to-face confrontation where someone's going to walk up into your, your life in lunch, throw your Chipotle bowl to the ground and say, Christ isn't the Son of God. And you're going to stand up and proclaim, yes, he is. But that's not how it works. I would love if that's how it works. That's, that's overtly dramatic, and you would be able to stand on your own two feet. And I think, I think even in 2020, where we want, to make, we want to pacify and we want to love, we would passive-aggressively pick up our, our food and say, that's not right, Christ is king. And we'd walk off, and we'd send a stirring email or something. But we would know, we would know lies when, when they were spoken to us. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews is worried about, and that's not what Tim's worried about. I'm worried about the drift. I'm worried about you just being a little off with no anchor and a little off becomes a little more off and a little more off. And before you know it, you're upside down. Before you know, you, 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 have, you, have, you are so far from truth. You are so far from the will of God that you don't even know how you got there. And more importantly, you don't know your way back. Because I love the nautical uh, usages in the Bible that talk about your compass and, and your anchor and, and, and the storms and the seas. I, and full discretion, I, I, I get seasick really easy. Um, I'm married into a very nautical, nautically inclined family. They're, they're divers, they're deep sea fishermen, they have huge boats that you spend the night out and you go miles and miles and miles off sea. So I would be, this would be a much better uh, example or I'd have a lot more imagery for you if I even enjoyed some of that. And to uh, my, my family, and more importantly, my father-in-law's very much disappointment is I don't like being on boats very much. They make me sick. I have an inner ear thing. And I am as pasty as it comes. I have no business at the beach. I have very little business on the ocean. Um, so everything that I'm telling you is stuff I've heard. But... Nonetheless, I know that drifting is so dangerous because when you drift, it's just this, you don't even feel it. And like I said, I would hope and I pray that maybe the, the way that Satan attacks you is from the front. And the way that Satan attacks you is bold proclamations of untruth. But we know Satan is the king of liars. He's not the king of fair fights. And what he's going to do is he's going to sneak into your life and he's going to alter truth just enough. And in 2020, truth Truth can kind of sound like truth. And I love, I love the Matt Chandler quote that if you don't know the word of God, if you don't know the will of God, and you don't profess to, to study the, the, the inherent word of God, then you're going to be a slave to whatever sounds good. And that's where Satan has you in 2020. Satan can surround you with stuff that sounds really spiritual. He can surround you with stuff that sounds something, that like, like something that would be in church. And by the time you figure out that you, you're way off, you've drifted off course, and, and then, then in your mind, Satan may have tricked you, and there's no way back. That's not the truth, but that, that, that's the danger of drifting. And the way to stop drifting is an anchor. I want to focus in on two major points today as we, as we kind of circle back. Is I want to talk about um, the importance of an anchor. And, and, and before we can break down how important it is to have an anchor, you have to, you have to understand what can build an anchor. And really uh, is understanding the unchangeable character of God, the fact that God can't lie. That means that, that God is our creator, he is our savior, he is our sustainer. He is your king, he sent his only son to die for you. That death conquered hell in the grave, and now our savior is sitting at the right hand of God, and when God looks at his children, he looks at it through the lens and the blood of Christ. Those are true. Those are promises that were completely fulfilled for us, for our sake, for the grace that we may experience. 
It also means everything that's ever been put in this Bible is true. And I'm going to hit you over some coffee cup stuff, but I want you to look at it. We don't have time to dive into all the context of these scriptures, so I'm going to hit you with, with the stuff you've probably already heard. But I want it to sink into your mind that it's true. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, desires the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, but to give you future and hope. And a lot of times, uh, we key on the wrong things in that verse. Even though they're coffee cup verses, and I'm not that guy, I don't like coffee cup verses, I like coffee cup passages. I think context and culture is vital to understand the, the beauty and the veracity of Scripture. But uh, the truth of that sentence is, is nonetheless that people hone into the welfare. And some, some translations say good. I, I know the plans I have for you and they're good. And it's easy for us to be like, I got a lot of stuff going on and none of it I would classify as good. And and what is good in this is is in this Scripture, in this passage, in this usage, is more of I, I know the plans I have for you, the plans for joy and hope. And it even ends in that sentence with, for future hope. So no, you may not be experiencing good things as you categorize them in 2020 America, but you will experience peace and joy and love from God. He knows the things that he has for you and that they're for good. That doesn't mean they're easy. That doesn't mean they won't hurt and they won't cost you something. But we have a God who also, in Matthew 11, says, Come to me all who labor and, and, who all labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The older I get, the more I think, the more I, I yearn for rest. And rest doesn't mean a nap, a nap helps you with rest. But a lot of times rest is mental. It's just knowing you're inside the will of God and that he will sustain you. And that doesn't mean that life's easy. A lot of people think, well, I've, 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 I've entered into this relationship with, with, with God. I'm in this covenant relationship with God. And I don't feel the rest because rest to me is just Cadillac and it's just easy street. And I don't feel that. And that's not what God's promised you. Look at the Bible. Look at the disciples. Look at the people who birthed the New Testament church. None of them had restful lives, but they went to bed with peace. So he's promising you peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And I've, I've preached this a lot. Where, where he's not just flexing and saying, I can give you a peace that passes understanding. No, he's telling you as an Abba Father that you're going to need a peace that passes understanding. And I'm the only way you get it. Here we go. Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have washed away. And I know Revelation scares a lot of people. It scares me too. Because uh, I don't fully understand every aspect of Revelation. I won't pretend to. Um, but like we spoke last week, we're not called upon to be exegetical theologians of Revelation. You're, you're called upon to live like it's true and you know he's coming back. So instead of worrying about when he comes back, we just live like he is coming back. And the old things will pass away. I love Revelation. It's, it's a sustaining scripture for me um, because it's the only thing that gets us through it, right? That, that one day there won't be pain. One day there won't be tears. One day the former things will pass away. So you have to build those things up. You have to believe those things. You have to hold those things true for you to actually have an anchor. So let's talk about what an anchor is. An anchor is something that you, you drop from the boat and it keeps you in a desired position. An anchor does not stop the storm from coming. An anchor does not stop the waves from hitting you. The anchor keeps you from being destroyed. The anchor keeps you from drifting. The anchor keeps you from going off course. And a lot of times, we confuse those, we confuse those things. We say, I, I'm, anchored, didn't work out. I'm anchored in Christ. Why is the storm hitting me? An anchor will never stop the storm. It will make sure the storm doesn't carry you off. 
And for us not, and for us to understand that will embolden what it is to be anchors. Because so many times you're sitting there in the storm, and you're saying the waves keep coming. Yeah, the waves are going to keep coming. The Bible tells us that that, that, that Satan ain't going to give up. Because Satan's goal is the exact opposite of us. All of us want the same thing as we want to bring as many souls to the throne of Christ. And Satan's job is he wants to keep as many souls. So the waves are going to come at you. The waves are going to come at Trinity Church. If we continue to profess to be the sons and daughters of the one true God, then the waves are going to keep coming. And the day they stop, the day you fire me, because we've gotten off course. So I know a lot of you don't know my story because we have a new we're, we have a lot of new growth that God's blessed us with. But one of the reasons I love uh, preaching about being anchored is because I know intimately what it is to be anchored and how it can keep you alive. Um, and I don't have time to just dive into the complete nuances of my story or, or my childhood. But my childhood was marked with years and years and years of really bad abuse. I come from a story of, I view it as redemption, uh, but I still carry a lot of emotional scars. I still carry a lot of physical scars scars because of the age, from the age of around 4 to 10, uh, it was just a myriad of physical and sexual abuse. And a lot of people now say, Tim, you have a great story. I, I, I'm, blessed with, I'm blessed with a story that kind of has full circle. I'm literally assigned to the same unit in the same city, in the same state, in the same county that investigated my abuse. That's insane. That's a God thing. As my wife conveniently reminds me, every other hour of every day when I try to lose my mind, she says, look at what, where you're at and what you're doing. You're literally helping the same kids in the same building with the same people that helped you. You're the definition of a of a God who is sovereign over the, over the nasty and he is sovereign over the abuse. And the reason anchoring means something to me, because I'll tell you right now, if you're not anchored, you will be destroyed. And I'm not telling you as someone who read a book or went to a conference, I'm telling you as someone who has been in the pit of hell and depression, and the only way through was God. The only way through was to be anchored in his truth because I am not tough. If you hear my story and you think Tim's tough, then you've heard the wrong story or I've conveyed it poorly because I am not tough. I learned a long time ago that being tough is overrated, but being faithful is everything. I am not tough. I am faithful. Being in the right place at the right time without an anchor is a momentary fix. You won't stay there on your own. Look at Trinity Church Oak Cliff. We've taken a beating. The, and don't think, there's a, don't think there's not a sovereignty to this. Like Joe is, again, I don't go to counseling. I live with counseling. Um, and, and, uh, and last night I was talking about, uh, and there's a lot going on at work, and I'll share more with that later, but not today. We don't have time. But there's a lot going on at work where you can see the hand of God in what I'm doing. Um, which is a blessing. There's a lot of people with my story that don't get that side of it. They don't get, they don't get the full story. They don't get the, the, the cathartic work uh, of working out your demons and working out uh, the ability to help day in and day out. I am blessed beyond measure because of that. There's a lot of people with my same story that don't make it to 30. But what God was telling Joe last night, was like the story of Tim of just how, how much beating can a, can a six-year-old take? How much beating can a 12-year-old take? Really much in lines with Trinity Church Oak Cliff, because how much beating can a 5-year-old church take? 
you, you, you stood here and you've taken it and you've done it well. And don't think for a second that you're tough in this room. You're faithful. You're faithful. That's it. But that's all you have to be. And there is a correlation to a five-year-old church who has taken a beating and in no way should have come out the other end but did with a pastor that took a beating that shouldn't have come out on the other end but did. We're married together. We're in this forever. I'm not leaving. You'll have to fire me and no one in this room is big enough to drag me out that door by yourself. So you better get a group. That's just a fact. That's a lot of time and training this state has put into me. You're not getting me here. You're not getting me here. I am a good dude in the alley. <laughs> but there's a correlation, there's a beauty, there's a sovereignty over being anchored in the will of God because you don't have to be tough, you don't have to be smart, you don't have to be fast, you don't have to be strong, you have to be faithful, and that's it. God's not called us to handle our problems, He's not called us to figure out a way to make the storm stop, He's called us to anchor in the middle of the storm, and He's actually sent His Son to come in the middle of the storm, walk on water in the storm, come with you, and He may calm the storm, or He may not, but either way, you're in the storm with Him. He has never said, once I come to you, the storm will stop, He just said, you'll never walk alone. You have to be anchored in the will of God. And I know a lot of you are thinking, Tim, you just gave us seven seconds of the darkest testimony I've ever heard. Maybe you should unpack that. And there's just simply not time to stick around, and I may. I love you. I want you to bask in the truth of last week of saying, hey, I'm not here just to, for the hot hype, the circumstance, the pomp. I'm not here for just to feel spiritual things, but I want to feel the hope. I want to feel the peace. I want to feel the joy. I want to the truth of Scripture. And I want you rooted in today and say, because I feel those things, I'm anchored in truth. And when you're anchored in the will of God and the unchangeable character of God and you understand that the promises of God are bank, that is when you live your life with open abandon. That's when, you, that's when you prophesy truth at work. That's when you come alongside your family and you say, I love you, your family, and I want to spend the rest of eternity with you. That's when you come alongside people that, that God sends you to, to be to the only Bible, the only truth, the only church they'll ever see. When you walk in the anchor of Christ and understand, no matter what Satan sends at me, he can't get me to or fro because I know how this story ends and he's done dead and paid for, and when the story's end, I'm going to be anchored in truth, sitting before my, my sovereign God, eternally worshiping Him, and I pray to God when you look around, you see everyone He's ever sent you to minister to, but you can't do any of that without being anchored. You can do it for a week, you can do it for a month, you may do it for five years, but you won't last, you won't handle the grind, it will destroy you without the anchor. So now that we've all teared up, there's like 19 people in here half crying. Some of you are real crying. And I, by the grace of God, I wore these special glasses because they're see-through, they're clear, and when the light hits them, it shines, and you can't tell if it's the glasses or me crying. <laughs> and I'm in no way joking. <laughs> I love y'all. I was not joking about anything I said, and we're here together. This has been a rough season. And we joke about that at the Roundtree House because we've been saying that for nine seasons. <laughs> and it's beautiful. The, the life of the Roundtrees is, is definitely correlated and parallels the life of Trinity Church because this is, this, is this is our life's work. This is our calling. This is where God's placed us. And this is where we have felt. And my wife, she's like, yeah, preach. I hope it's Joe's turn after this. <laughs> um, but there, we, we sit down. Sometimes we take, we take in... The, the battles Satan has come at, has, has brought to our door. 
and how we've handled them and how we've said, you know what? If that's the sign of being a church that's, that's rapidly on the will of God and doing His work, then bring it. Yeah. Bring the war. you got the right pastor. He, he enjoys the street fight. Yeah. And I couldn't do it without the people around me. Y'all are faithful. I hope you know that I'm not tough. We're not tough. All we have to do is be faithful. Let me pray over you. Eric's going to lead us in a song of worship. I love you. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth that is your promise is the unchangeable will of God. And because of those things, we are anchored in hope. God, I pray all things in your name and your will.